Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see you all on this beautiful autumn Sunday morning. It's good to be worshiping with you, and uh, now we're going to crack open the word a little bit. You ready for it? Are you ready for it? Can you handle the truth? All right. So uh, we are, uh, by the way, if you're visiting here, my name is Greg, and I'm uh, one of the teachers here. Um, we're today finishing up this series that we've been doing called Through Line. A through line is a major theme or idea that runs throughout a story. And so we've been, as we're entering into what we consider a new season here at Woodland Hills Church, we've been just kind of reviewing what are the core ideas, themes that we've emphasized throughout the life of this church, and that kind of weave together the whole story of Woodland Hills Church. And, and so we're looking at the major themes that have kind of connect all this, this whole story from the past to the present going into the future. And uh, this final thing that we want to talk about, well, we're entitling this message, The Priesthood of All Believers. Um, because we have, from the start, emphasized strongly the truth, the biblical truth, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're a minister, you're a missionary, you're called to play a vital role in the body of Christ. Um, and so that's what I'll be focusing on this morning. Uh, I'll start by saying this. Um, I, last week, was, uh, I raced walked. If you, want, if you don't know what race walking is, Google it sometimes. It's the silliest looking sport on the planet, but it's grueling. Just, you have to like, just, you got to get the hip going. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it, there's a technique to it. So I, I uh, did that. I appreciate Seth. Uh, that message you brought last week was fantastic. Uh, man, he, he, he delivered it on community. Uh, it, was, it was excellent. I also appreciate his snidey comments about me being too old to run. <laughs> Seth McCoy, that young, bald punk. Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, he, just remember, he started this, all right? Okay, the warranty on my knees for long-distance running has run out. I'll grant that. It's, uh, I, I put in too many miles earlier on, and uh, I can still do five or whatever, but uh, running 26 miles is not in the cards anymore. Okay, that's true. So that's, I took a brace walking, and uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, the strange looks I get notwithstanding. Um, so having said that, I here publicly challenge Seth to a 10-mile race. Uh, and you, he can run. He, he can run as fast as he wants, and I will walk. And I propose that the loser of that race has to donate $100 to the Making Space campaign this fall. What do you say? Huh? Because here's the thing. I, I have seen him run uh, at LA Fitness when I used to go there. Uh, and and the 98-year-old grannies next to him look like speedsters compared to this guy. If he went any slower, they'd have to invent a treadmill that went backwards. I mean, the guy just, it, it's just, so, so. Wow. And, uh, wow. <laughs> Game on, Sith McCoy. <laughs> now, maybe I'm just a little cocky because I, I had a really good race last week. I, I don't know what got into me. I ate my right Wheaties or something, but I was, I was shooting for an 11-minute mile per mile, which, if you've ever tried to walk 11-minute miles, that's hard. But I ended up going like 10-minute mile pace. I, 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 was, I was cooking it. I, this little fanny was twisting like you wouldn't believe. I was just like, mm, 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 mm. yeah. So, so uh, um, I, I was really happy with that. In practice, I could only go like three miles that fast, and here I am just going. It's just feeling great. And so there you go. So uh, McCoy, I, I'll give you two weeks to train and get ready for it. I don't know where you are, but you got uh, get in shape, and then then we'll, then we'll we'll do this. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right. 
It's all done in love. Insulting is a, a kind of a love language around here, so he's got to know that. So uh, here's the thing. I had planned on running the, the whole marathon, uh, was training for it, but I got ousted for my niece. My daughter, who I wanted to run the marathon with, not keeping up with her, of course, but, but uh, we were going to both together do this. But she also had to uh, drop out, not during the race, but before the race, uh, several months ahead of time, she wasn't able to run it. And the reason was, because on vacation, and there is a point to this, by the way. They're probably sitting there going, why are you telling us all your family history? Well, here's the thing. Um, last July, we're on vacation and roughhousing and chasing kids and all that stuff, and she stubbed her little toe. I mean, maybe even broke it. It was, it was pretty bad. And you think, well, that's no big deal. Come on, a little toe, a little toe. I mean, oh, you little toe hurt. Uh, yeah, you should be able to run a marathon with a sore toe. Um, and that's what she thought. And so she goes on training. The, the toe stays sore for a while. But see, because the toe was sore, she unconsciously shifted her gait a little bit and began to put more weight on her right knee to you know, favor her left toe. And uh, that began to cause knee problems. And before you know it, she couldn't run at all. And it just seems so ridiculous that that would stop you from running a race. I mean, it, like you usually would think a person doesn't do a marathon because they don't want to uh, or because they're not able to. They, they aren't in shape enough to do it. Or maybe a family tragedy happened and... and uh, prevents them from being free that day or whatever, but to not run a marathon when you want to run a marathon, you've trained for a marathon, you know, you're shooting for it, it's your goal, and then your little toe prevents you from doing it is proof that we live in a, a fallen and absurd universe, okay? It just should not happen. It's wrong. But it does illustrate this point, and I told you there was a point, that every part of your body is important to the rest of your body. Uh, everything that happens to one part of your body is going to affect the other parts of your body. Uh, a, a little toe that's not operational can sabotage a goal that the rest of your body wants to do, uh, a race that you want to run. Every part is indispensable. And see, this is what Paul says is true of the body of Christ, which is the church, the body of Christ. Uh, it's uh, found in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll read 12 ver or, uh, four verses from this. Just as the body is one, I've got one body, but has many members, fingers, toes, blah, 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 all, and all the members of the body, though there are many, they belong to the one body, so it is with Christ. Now note that Paul here, he, he, he so closely brings together the body of Christ and Christ that what is true of the body is true of Christ. So it is with Christ. God arranged the members in the body, the body of Christ, each one of them as he chose. The members of the body that seem to be weaker, who are unimportant, insignificant, they are indispensable. So if one member suffers, even if it's a little toe, all suffer together with it. The whole body can't do what the body's supposed to do if one part of the body is not operating the way it's supposed to operate. Uh, this is how it is in the body of Christ. A little toe in the body of Christ. Whoever you are out there, a little toe in the body of Christ that is not operating at full capacity is going to cause the body of Christ to limp rather than race and fall short of the goal that God wants to accomplish with this body. Which means, folks, bottom line is that you are indispensable to the body of Christ. If you belong to Woodland Hills Church, you're indispensable to the body that is at Woodland Hills. If you belong to a different fellowship, you're indispensable to that fellowship. And by the way, every believer is supposed to be connected to a discernible church body. However big or however small, we all need to be connected. And you're indispensable to that local body. Absolutely. It may look like you're just an insignificant little toe, but if that little toe ain't doing what that little toe is supposed to do, then uh, that, that body is going to suffer because of it. No, the all-important question that I want us to be thinking about this morning and 
And the carry on throughout the week, and as long as you need to carry it on until you answer it, is this. What role are you to be playing in the body of Christ? What is your role? Because everybody's got a role. Uh, what member are you? And are you playing it? In fact, are you playing it to full capacity? Are you fully invested in playing that role? Because it is absolutely indispensable. Think about that question as I now turn to another passage that has to do with the church. Uh, this is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus says. Let's make it personal. What, who do you say that I am? And then Simon, it says, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. This wasn't your own just natural thinking here. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. This is divine revelation. And then he says, and you are Peter. And his name means rock, rock-like or little rock. You are Peter, but upon this rock, uses a word that, that means like large boulder, on this rock, on this confession, on this revelation that I am the Son of God, the revelation of God, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is in the process, has been in the process for the last 2,000 years, of building his church. The church he's building is not a giant cathedral. A lot of times people think of a church as a building. But in the New Testament, the, the, the church is a people. The word means ecclesia, or the, the word that's used is ecclesia. And it literally means called out ones. Uh, folks who are called out for a special, special purpose, uh, a vocation. And it consists of all people who've, who have believed in and have trusted in and have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. You are part of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that God always uses the weak and foolish things of the world to accomplish his purposes. And the primary example of that is the cross. But another great example of that is the church. Uh, Jesus chose to use ordinary people like you and me to be his body, and therefore to be the means by which he accomplishes his purposes in the world. Jesus chose ordinary people like you and me, fallen people like you and me, broken people like you and me, sometimes very stupid people like you and me. He chose to use us, the foolish things of this world, to, to, to be the means of transforming the world and putting on display his beautiful character and proclaiming the good news to, to all people. He chose to use ordinary people like you and me, silly, sometimes petty, uh, sometimes sinful, stumbling people like you and me to be the means by which is bringing salvation to the world and being the light of the world, as we sang earlier. Uh, God always uses the foolish and the weak things of the world to accomplish his purposes. And that's how you know that God is doing it. If it made common sense, well, then, then it would just be common sense to do it. But God shows that he's the one who's building the church by using silly, silly people like you and me. Praise God. And so we are the body of Christ. We're the church. Uh, we're the means by which God is going to transform the world. Uh, maybe it doesn't look that, that, like the church is, is, is that important, but in fact, it is. In fact, for the last 2,000 years, this is the main thing that Jesus has been focused on. In fact, when he came to plant the seed that's now growing as the church, he is building his church. It's his main focus. God is everywhere, of course, and God is everywhere working to bring about as much good and minimize as much evil as possible. God's always doing that everywhere with everyone. But the focus, his focus has been on building this church, which means the most important thing in history and yet today is Jesus building that, his church. From God's perspective, this is the main event. This is what's going on in history. 
It doesn't look like that. It, it, a lot of things look more impressive and wiser and better change agents than the church. But as a matter of fact, the foolish-looking, silly-looking, weak-looking church is his means of bringing hope to the world. The church, folks, is the hope of the world. Uh, now, we often say, you often hear people say, that Jesus is the only hope of the world. And that is, of course, true. Jesus is the only hope of the world. But folks, Jesus has got a body. And um, he brings about that hope through the body. See, when sometimes people say Jesus is the only hope, what they're saying is that he was gonna the only hope is for him to return at the end of the age, which he's going to do. But they're saying the only hope, the only hope for this world is Jesus to come and rescue us, to take us out of this world. So what can we do? You know, there's no point in really doing anything. We're just going to have to sit and wait for him to rescue us. He's going to rapture us up and take us out of here, then the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Which I heard a rumor, uh, and there's some books on this, that that was supposed to happen on the fourth blood moon on September 28th. Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, a little advertisement here. The books that promote that are on sale right now on Amazon, very cheap. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, so there's no hope for the world except Jesus, and so we just got to wait for Jesus to return. That's called, that's called escapist theology, because the hope is to escape. And it is, in my humble, humble opinion, um, a, load of, a load of poppycock noodle doldrum shyster Carlson miter, right? It, it's, what does that mean? It means anything you want it to mean, but it's not positive, okay? Uh, it, it, it's, just, it's not only bad theology, it's da damaging theology because it disempowers the church from doing, it turns the church into a bunch of couch potatoes just waiting around to get rescued. You know so Jesus is up in heaven going like this. I, this, this look, think about it like this. What would, that'd be like, here's an analogy. Work with me on this. It'd be like last Sunday, I'm getting ready to do this walk race. Uh, and uh, my body says to me, uh, you know, doing 10 miles at 10 minute pace sounds kind of hard and painful. We're going to sit this one out. You go ahead though. No pun intended. Go ahead. No. <laughs> the head's talking. About it. Okay, so, um, <laughs> never mind. And so, you know, if my body talked to me that way, you know, like I'm just waiting around to get rescued, the body says, hey, I'll wait for you at the, at the finish line, and then you can rescue me. I, if my body talked to me that way, I would ream it out. I'd say, body, you are an idiot. I mean, uh, I, I can't, how is the head supposed to run a race without the body? What, am I supposed to roll 10 miles? Uh, imagine that. Everyone's running along, here comes the head, you know, going. And the head is getting ahead. Okay, so, um, I, I, ba-boom, ching. I don't know. Stop while you're ahead. Oh, you're... <laughs> That's good. Uh, the rest of the sermon, people will be thinking of head jokes. <laughs> that was a pretty heady sermon. Okay. Uh, well, I, I would say to my body, you know, look at how am I supposed to do that? You know, uh, if I try to roll the whole thing, well, I, my face is going to get scraped up. I won't be able to see where I'm going because my eyes are always spinning. People are going to be stepping on me and kicking me. And how am I supposed to go uphill? I can't possibly run this race as, in fact, it, it's a race walk, not a race roll. So I need, body, if I'm going to do this thing, I need you to do it. I can't do this race without you. If I'm going to hurt, you're going to hurt with me. All right, and, and, and I have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus is up in heaven thinking something along those lines about a large part of the church body that's sitting on the couch waiting to get rescued. He's saying, yes, you're right, I'm the hope of the world, but, but uh, I got a body, and it's you. And so if, I'm gonna, if there's hope for the world, then that means that the hope depends on you. I got a lot that I want to, I'm not going to come back to rescue you out of the world. I want to use you to rescue the world. Amen. The, 
I'm not going to rescue you out of the world. I want to use you to rescue the world. You are the means by which. You are the means by which. I'm to bring hope to the world. And so, see, the last thing that Christians should ever be doing is sitting on their butts on a couch waiting to get rescued. That's just not an option. Uh, we, are, we are the hands and the feet and the mouth and the legs and the little toe of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to return at the end of this, this epoch in history. That's true. Uh, and he'll finish up the job then. And he'll do it when the time is right. But see, folks, the time won't be right until Jesus sees that he's accomplished all he wants to accomplish through his body. And the body is you and the body is me. And the body are all who put their trust in him. And, and we are his hands and feet. And he needs us to do what he wants to do in this world. It is the most important thing. It is the central thing he's been focused on throughout history. Everything depends on this getting done. Everything depends on this getting done. This is the hope of the world. And see, if, if, folks, if this is the hope of the world, from Jesus' perspective, it's got to be the hope of the world from our perspective. We have to take it this seriously. Uh, all our eggs should be in this basket. This should be what we're trusting in. Jesus is the only hope, uh, but he's building his church, and by that means he is bringing about his purposes for history. Um, if he sees it, that that's where all the hope is, then that's where all our hope has to be. I would never fault anyone, uh, non-believers, for putting their hope in, you know, uh, the U.S. military staying the strongest military. You know, that, that's, people got to hope in something. Uh, but for us who follow Jesus, we are to know that the hope of the world isn't found in someone's strong military. It's found in Jesus Christ and the church that he's building. And, and I, I, I wouldn't fault non-believers for putting their trust in, having their hope in who's going to be the next president, having their hope in Donald Trump getting in there, or, or Hillary Clinton getting in there, or Yankee Doodle Dandy getting in there, whatever. Uh, they got to hope in something, right? But for us who follow Jesus, we're to know that the hope of the world resides in Jesus and the church he's building, and we are it. Amen. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault non-believers, ordinary citizens, for putting their hope, the hope of the world, in, in, in the United Nations, or in this peace accord, or that peace accord, or this policy, or that policy, or this organization, or that organization. Everyone has to hope in something, but we who follow Jesus are to know that the hope, the only hope of the world is found in Jesus Christ and the body that he is building, and that is you, and that is me. And, and, and so everything depends on this, on us being the church that he calls us to be. Um, you may say, well, it doesn't look like the church is the change agent to save the world. It doesn't look like it's going to transform the world. It looks weak and foolish. And I agree, exactly. That's exactly. But think about this. In the first century, who looked more powerful? The Roman military and Roman politicians or the guy who just got crucified on the cross? It looks like the, the Roman military and politicians, are, they have all the power. They're the ones who are the movers and shakers. The, the Jewish Nazarene hanging on that cross that they just crucified looks absolutely powerless. But three days later, on that first Easter morning, they were proven wrong, praise God. And see, amen, that's when the power of the cross is put on display. It is the, the power of God's self-sacrificial love revealed on Calvary turns out to be the most powerful thing in the universe. That's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, the message of the cross, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by getting crucified. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. It looks like absolute weakness, but it's the power of God. You'd think, wouldn't you, common sense would say, if the all-powerful God who can do anything he wants, wants to save the world, well then come down here and kill the bad guys, and then the world will be saved. That would make sense. But instead... The all-powerful God who can do anything he wants comes down to earth and gets killed by the bad guys out of love for the bad guys who are killing him. 
And see, from a natural perspective, that just looks like, looks like, the, looks like the height of foolishness. Why would God do that? But see, it only looks, follow this, it only looks like the height of foolishness because we in our fallen condition, unless we're intentional on thinking otherwise, we naturally tend to power to, we, we trust the power to crush enemies more than we trust the power of self-sacrificial love to transform enemies. The world's default button in this fallen condition is to trust the power to crush, the power to conquer, the power to will, willpower. Just listen to the sort of the bravado of our presidential candidates. As they go around with their chest-pounding stump speeches, uh, listen to the kind of power they talk about. It's all about <clears throat> who can wield, who's best at wielding the power of the state, the power of government, the power of military, the power of laws, the power of policy. Who's best at wielding the power to win, to conquer, to, to defeat enemies? It's all about that kind of power. In fact, in the political arena, to talk about self-sacrificial love sounds really, really weak. Humble, self-sacrificial love, that wouldn't get you elected. You know, if someone ran on a platform of Christ-like, cross-like, self-sacrificial love, they'd get booed off the stage or laughed off the stage in a second. Just imagine if, if, if one of the candidates ran on a platform of self-sacrificial love, and, and they're in the debate, and it comes to them, and, and they, the question is, what's your policy? And they say, well, I believe that what we need and all we need is self-sacrificial love. We just need to sacrificially love the illegal immigrants, and we need to sacrificially love our political opponents, and we need to sacrificially love our, our, our national enemies, including the terrorists. We just need to love on them and sacrifice for them. How long would they stay up on stage? They wouldn't get up on stage. They'd, they'd be laughed off in a heartbeat. The world runs on, and the world trusts, the kind of power to conquer, to crush enemies, and yet what the cross reveals... Uh, is that uh, uh, what the resurrection reveals about the cross is that it is, in fact, though it looks weak, it looks, it looks foolish, it is, in fact, the most powerful thing in the universe. It is the hope of the world. Uh, the power of self-sacrificial love is the only power that can conquer the grave, as Jesus did on resurrection morning, that can, that can defeat Satan, that can overcome evil, that can transform hearts, that can turn friends, uh, enemies into friends. It is the power that we're to trust. All our eggs are to be in that basket, because at the end of the day, folks, that's the power that will reign forever and ever and ever, and that's the power before whom all thrones will fall. Yes. Amen. So the only hope of the world is in Jesus who, who manifests that kind of power and is building that kind of power and the body that he's now building that is to put on display that kind of power, that kind of character, that kind of love. Jesus is building his church, praise God. He uses the foolish and the weak things of the world to do it, but he is the one who do it, who's doing it. And everything depends on this. This has been his focus for the last 2,000 years. It's this serious. So what does this mean for Woodland Hills Church? And for our parishioners, I just want to say, take what I'm going to say right now and apply it to your own fellowship. What does it mean for Woodland Hills? It means this. Um, if Jesus has been building his church for the last 2,000 years and is still doing it today, it means that right here, right now, in this place, at this moment, Jesus is building his church, and the church is us. Right now, Jesus is at work in every one of us. The Spirit of Jesus is at work in every one of us to infuse us as much as we'll yield, because he's never coercive, but he wants to infuse us with that self-sacrificial character. That same kind of character he manifested on Calvary. And right now, this moment, God is at work in this place uh, to pull every one of us into, woo every one of us to play the role that we're to play in the body of Christ. Right here, right now, Jesus is at work forming this community to be all it can be. 
to be a community that is operating at, at, operating at maximal capacity, to get this body in shape. Jesus is bodybuilding. <laughs> he's been bodybuilding for the last 2,000 years, and he's bodybuilding right here. And we are the muscles that he's building, and he wants this body to operate at full capacity because he knows that so much depends on this. A lot is at stake. He knows that, that, that for some folks, you know, the church is the only hope of the world, and there's folks for whom the Woodland Hills Church is going to be their only hope. And, and so he wants us operating at full capacity. This is the race that Jesus is running here and now. And you can't separate the head from the body. That's called decapitation. No, he, if he's going to run this race, he needs his body, including his little toe, to be in the game, connected to the head and doing what it's supposed to do. And so I, I want us to get a vision. I want us to ask God to give us a vision for what is the maximal capacity that he wants to accomplish through Woodland Hills? What is the potential that is here? To give us a God-shaped vision, a God-sized vision of, of, what, uh, of, of what he could do through us if we are all in the game, invested in the game, passionate about the game, doing the role that he calls us to do. And it's, about a, it's a God-sized vision because Jesus is building his church. It's not Seth or Greg or Billy Graham or the Pope that's building the church. It's Jesus building the church, and he owns the church. It belongs to him. And so the vision that we have for our future has got to conform to what he can do, not what we can do without him, right? It's what he can do through us, not what we do on our own effort. Um, get a, vision is, is everything. It's the essence of faith. Uh, faith is a vision about the future, and it's, it's, uh, you see the beauty of the future that you envision, that, that God is leading you towards. And, and seeing that, it creates in us a passion that motivates us to move in that direction. Everything we do is really a reflection of our faith, a f- reflection of our, our vision, uh, for better or for worse. And if we have no vision, what the Bible says, without a vision, the people perish. It's what motivates us to move in a certain direction. It's what creates a fire in us. Having a, a, a vision of faith, a God-sized vision, of faith is, is what makes you dissatisfied with the present because you see how much more can and should be done. And so I ask God to give us the vision that he wants us to have of Woodland Hills Church. Dream big God-sized dreams about what God wants to do here. I mean, for example, uh, I thank God. I thank God for the thousands of people that I know of who have been impacted, transformed, have come to Christ, had the image of God transformed through the message that God's given us here. I thank God for that. I am moved deeply by the almost daily testimonies that I get about the radical difference that this is making in people's lives. This message of a Jesus-looking God raising up a Jesus-looking people to transform the world in a Jesus kind of way. It's, it's been powerful. It's, it, I thank God for it. It's beautiful. But... But we can't be satisfied with that. We can't like rest on that, pat ourselves on the back, and now, they are now go into coast mode. No, the body needs to stay functional, and we need to have a head that is talking to us and giving us a vision about the direction we're supposed to go. We take our directions from the head. Uh, you know, so, so what if instead of thousands, we had tons of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are being impacted, transformed, radicalized, having the image of God uh, revolutionized by the message that is here? Uh, I, you know, dream big dreams. I would like to see multitudes impacted by this. And it's not because we, we want to play that silly, stupid ridiculous poppycock sauerkrauster noodle Muchenheimen game of who's got the biggest church on the block. No one's interested in that poppycock. That's, that's silliness. It's ego-driven nonsense. We're not interested in that. But our heartbeat's got to be, uh, 
What about the hundreds and, and thousands and millions of folks out there who are hungry because they're living without a purpose and they're trying to meet that hunger by filling themselves with, with, with success or with things or with pleasure? I'd love to impact that multitude. Can we get a God-sized vision that could reach that multitude and say, we, Lord, we want to see more. We want to see this, this, this ministry and this message affecting more people. I'm talking about those thousands and millions who need to be freed from the bondage of religion. Somebody say amen. Amen? I'm talking about the thousands and the millions of folks who need to be liberated from various addictions, addictions to sin and drugs and porn and other self-destructive behaviors. I'd love to see them liberated by the, the, the body that is here at Woodland Hills Church. Can we get a God-sized vision for that? I, I, I would love to impact the thousands and millions of folks who live in anxiety, perpetual anxiety, because the only hope they know of is a hope in the military or a hope in a presidential candidate or a hope in a policy. And they look at the world as it is now and they know that that's not much of a hope. Ah, and they're looking for something bigger, but they don't know what it is. I'd love to impact folks like that. I'd love to impact the folks who have a form of faith, a form of faith, but it's wrapped up in a flag and it's protected by a gun. And I'd love to impact the folks, millions of who just assume they're not welcome in church. They assume they're not welcome in any church because, because they're gay or because they have a jaded past or because they think God hates them or because they think the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, can we get a vision, a God-sized vision to impact the thousands and millions of folks who are in bondage to that sort of thinking? Amen. Yes, amen, amen. Do it, Jesus, do it, Jesus. Let, what if Jesus build up this church, this church body, uh, to the point where he could impact thousands and millions of folks who just don't like God? And they don't like God because the picture of God that they have is unlikable. The only contact of faith, with faith they've ever had is the kind that's, they, they meet the ugly God who's wrapped up in a flag and protected by a gun. And so they don't like God. Oh, but many of them in a heart, would believe in a heartbeat. The God is revealed on the cross, the God of self-sacrificial love, the humble servant God who's, who always has your best in mind, the God whose very definition is love. They believe in the heartbeat if they only knew about it. Oh, I'd like to, I'd like, can we have a God-sized vision to have multitudes, thousands, millions hear about it more than are doing now? Thank God for what's gone on so far, but, but we've got to be hungry for more and dream big dreams, God-sized dreams, and let that build a passion in us so that we individually sacrifice together to make it happen. Let it be so, Lord. I thank God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I, I, I am so grateful for the, the 700 families that get food each month through the food shelf that we partner with here. That's beautiful. 700. Um, dream dreams. It could be 7,000. It could be maybe 70,000. Uh, dream big dreams. What, what, what would God have us do? I thank God for the 80 seniors that receive food each week through our Meals on Wheels program that we partner with and, and people volunteer here for. It's beautiful. Uh, what if it was 800? What if it was 8,000? The need is out there, folks. The need is out there. And we're not going to be sitting on the couch waiting to get rescued, trust, trusting the government to meet those needs. No, it's the job of the body of Christ to meet those kind of needs. So dream big dreams. Get a vision. I thank God for the 90, more than 90 families this year alone that we've kept off the street and got into housing through the, the various homeless ministries that we have uh, here in our building. I praise God for that. It's beautiful. What if in two years it was 900 or 9,000? Uh, every, every we're manifesting the self-sacrificial love of God in every one of these things because it's through sacrifice that these things happen. Dream big dreams. We've had 350 folks who've gone through our job training program to get jobs that actually pay enough so they can afford to support their family, put food on the table, and have a roof over their heads and, and decent living. I thank God for that, 350. But what if it was 3,000? What if it was 30,000? The need is there. And we are the ones who are called to meet that need through our self-sacrificial love, praise God. I, I thank God for the 80 at-risk children that are in our daycare 
care center every week. Uh, you know, kids who come from uh, underprivileged homes, and a lot of them come from uh, women who are in battered shelters, being protected from guys who beat up on them. Uh, and this frees them to be able to go out and get a job and start their life over again. It's a beautiful thing, 82 kids each week. But, but what if it was 800? What if it was 8,000? Uh, you know, the need is there. Uh, could we believe God uh, to, to, to maximize the potential of Woodland Hills Church to, to meet that need? And so it is for all the ministries of the church, the refuge ministry, our children's ministry, our Echo, our youth ministry, our, our, our young adult ministry, all the ministries here. Can we dream big dreams, get a vision of faith that moves us in that direction and ask God to just make it a God-sized image. Uh, and use your imagination, let the Holy Spirit work on you. And then ask the question, what is your role in attaining that? Because Jesus, for Jesus to... This is the race he's running, and if he's going to run this race, he needs his body. And if you're a believer, you're part of that body. What is the role in the body that you are to, uh, are to have? If we've got even one little toe that's not in the game, it's, we'll limp instead of run. And, and to some degree, the goal will be less, our attainment will be less than the goal that, that Jesus sees that we're capable of. Every part of the body is indispensable, which means you are indispensable. For, for Woodland Hills Church to be the maximal body that God wants it to be, he needs you to be the maximal member of the body that you're called to be. We're all in this together. You know, for me to have the maximal impact for the kingdom that I want to have, I need you to have the maximal impact in the kingdom that you're supposed to have. Uh, it's really in my self-interest to really motivate you to get motivated to play the role that you're to play. Because <laughs> my neck's on the line too. We're all in this together, you see. And so it is for all of us. This is why the church should be encouraging each other to be the maximal uh, player that we're called to be. Uh, to get off the couch, to get in the game, to make the sacrifices that are necessary. Sometimes you've got to restructure your life a little bit, restructure your budget to play the role you're supposed to play. But that's to be expected because everything in the kingdom starts when you bleed. It's all about sacrifice. And it's as the body sacrifices together that the body moves in the direction and runs the race that God calls us uh, to run and hit the goal that we're supposed to, to, to hit. So, folks, for, for Woodland Hills Church to be the maximal operating body that he wants us to be, we need people with the gift of hospitality, for example, to step up and open their doors and start inviting people over. And we need people who've got the, the gift of leadership to start leading and people who are pioneers to start pioneering and people who have a gift of service to start serving, whether it's in the nursery, daycare, whether it's in the food shelf or usher, whatever it is, start doing your gift. Start doing your gift. And people with the gift of administrating, we need you to step up and start administrating. And people with the gift of teaching, we need you to start teaching. And people with the gift of giving, we need you to step up and start giving sacrificially. And people with the gift of shepherding, we need you to shepherd. And people with the gift of compassion, start operating in a compassion ministry. Can you catch a vision, not only for what God wants to do for the body as a whole, but what your role is, what it looks like for you to be operating at maximal capacity in the role that God has called you to. And those two visions are absolutely interdependent. Uh, now, maybe, maybe you're, you're here. And you don't know what your gift is. You don't know what your calling is. And by the way, the role I'm playing here isn't just church-sponsored ministries. Someone asked me at the end of the last service, and she goes, I have a prison ministry that I'm really involved in. Uh, are you saying that, that that's not part of Woodland Hills? It's like, no. If you're part of the body, then whatever you're doing, whatever you're called to do, that is Woodland Hills doing it, all right? So our job is just to discern what are the ministries we're supposed to be involved in. Uh, you may be here saying, well, I really... I really don't have a calling. I, I really don't have a gift. I'm just kind of regular. I just attend church. Uh, listen, no. <laughs> no. Mango says no. 
You are, no, you, that, that's, you're mistaken here because the passage we read earlier, and there's a number of others like it, it says that everybody has a role. Everyone is a member. God places each one in the body for a purpose. And the purpose is never to sit on a pew. Uh, there's things to do. Now, maybe you don't know what your, your goal and, or what your calling is. You don't know what your giftedness is, and that's fine. Um, but I encourage you to ask God, seek God to, to find out what that is. Search your own heart. Look over various ministries, and as you're doing that, is there something that you know, kind of gets your heart pulping a little, pulsing a little faster? Is there a little flame that flickers as you look at a ministry? That could be an indication. Or if you don't know what your ministry is, then maybe talk to friends, kingdom friends, and say, what do you think? Because sometimes they could see that we're good at something that we don't even know. All right. And if after asking God and searching your heart and checking with friends, you still can't discern what you're called to do, then I encourage you just to do something. Just do something. Uh, try something. You know, because sometimes people find out what their calling is by doing it. You, you, maybe at first you don't like it, but it grows on you, and boom, there it is. Do something. But one option is not. I mean, help out nursery. We can always just help there. Or greet at the door. Or, or help with maintain the building. Whatever it is, just do something. But folks, sitting on the couch uh, waiting for Jesus to rescue is not an option. Sitting on the couch waiting to get rescued is off the table. Do something. All right, whatever it is. There is a time, I'll say this, one, one exception. When you're, if, 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 if you're really broke, if, if, not, not financially, but if you're, uh, if you're wounded, uh, life sometimes kind of just gives you an uppercut and you're on your, on your butt, right, laying on the back. Okay, there's a time where you need to just get healed. You know, if you break your leg, you got to get off your leg for a while. So that, that's legitimate. But... Know that that is a temporary period. It's a temporary period. And there will come a point where you need to start getting back in the game, and that will continue the healing process. Don't get too comfortable on that hospital bed or on that couch. Uh, there comes a point where if you overstay your healing time there, it, you'll start to atrophy. Right? It, it's counterproductive. It, you know, if, if you go in for an operation in the hospital, after a little while they get you up and start walking you around. And you don't feel like it. It's like, oh, this hurts like heck. But, you know, this is part of the healing process. you got to, you got to get your legs working again. It's not good to be laying on your back for too long. It could be that someone's listening to this message right now, and you've been wounded for five years because the church really wounded you five years ago, and you're still licking your wounds and wondering why you're not getting healed. And I am going to tell you in Jesus' name, it's very likely that you're not getting healed because you're not getting back in the game. It's part of the healing process. And you're going to be wounded the rest of your life if you don't get back in the game and start doing what you're called and are supposed to do. And just in case there is... This is occurred to me. In case there's some more senior person listening to this message uh, who thinks you've done your job and now, you know, it's time to let others take the load off. Just in case. Not saying anyone would think that, but maybe. Uh, it's time for you to retire. Uh, folks, when a part of your body retires, uh, it's called being dead. And you get gangrene. If, you, if your foot just decides to stop being the foot, well, it's going to turn black, and you're going to get gangrene, and that's not good for anybody, and it's not good for the foot, it's not good for the body. So, folks, as long as you've got a breath, you're alive, and that means you've got a role to play, all right? A role to play in the body of Christ, and it's indispensable. Absolutely indispensable. Absolutely indispensable. The thing is, if, if you know, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been focused on building his church, and that makes the church the most important thing in history, what that means, folks, is that we have... This isn't just a duty that we, are, that we have to do. It is that, but it's actually an opportunity. We, we are on the team, the most important team in history. 
You're part of a team. If you're a follower of Jesus, surrendered to him, you're part of the winning team, the most important team in history. And it doesn't look like that. It looks foolish and weak, but that's his proof that this is Jesus building his church. This is the most important thing. Our lives get to count. Our lives get to matter. We have a purpose. We have meaning. We get to invest in things that have eternal significance. You know, you know how many people, people are hungry for that? So many people, they think they're on the most important team because they're on the, you know, support Hillary team or the support Donald Trump team or the support Yankee Doodle Dandy team or whatever. And God bless them, but we are in the body of Christ on this team that, uh, that because it's built on the rock of Jesus Christ and built by Jesus Christ, it is in the end going to be the means by which Jesus changes the world. It is the hope of the world, and we get to have a role in playing it. Uh, our lives are significant, and so I encourage us to step into that role and play it with passion and play it with verve. Uh, uh, be the maximal that you can be. Uh, pour your life into this. I, I, I think when, when, when our life is over, uh, if the Lord doesn't return uh, in the end, uh, or in our lifetime, then it will at some point be over. And when it is, I really doubt anybody is going to be saying, gosh, I, I, I regret the time I put in the ministry. I, I, I don't think we'll regret any amount of energy and time and resources we pour into doing the work of God. I think there'll be you know, plenty of people who will regret not putting in very much time. But I don't think anyone's going to look back and say, you know, gosh, if only I'd watched a few more seasons of Friends. Uh, you know, I should have watched Breaking Bad one more time. I, wait, wait. No, no, no. It, it, folks, this is what gives our life eternal significance. Our attitude should be, I'll close with this, our attitude, I believe, should be, uh, when we wake up in the morning, pray something like this prayer. Um, Lord, I commit to you afresh uh, this morning to play the role that you want me to play this day uh, in the body of Christ in furthering the kingdom. Wherever that is, however that is, I, I commit to passionately playing the role that you've called me to play. Uh, can that be our prayer? Seek out, find that role, and play it with all you've got because this is the body and everything depends on this. The only hope of the world is Jesus and the church he is building, and we are it. Will you stand? I'll close with this. Amen. Uh, if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that could use prayer, please come up here and pray. Uh, the prayer team will be over by the stage. Uh, if you're here this morning and you want to be a follower of Jesus, find out what that's about. Come up here, talk to these folks. They'd love to uh, share with you what that means and to get you started on this exciting, adventurous walk and become part of the body of Christ. As we leave this place, can we do it as a people who are committed to discerning what our role is and to playing it with passion? Uh, go out of, uh, out of here animated by, empowered by, moved by the Holy Spirit who is right now building his church, and that is you and that is me. Let's go out and be the church to the world in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you guys.